0: And I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 72, Turkey Hunting from a Ground Blind with Keith Beam. And I am your host and the person who played Mr. McGregor in Peter Cottontail in the first grade. I'm pretty sure I remember knocking that one out of the park. And I feel like I was snubbed by the Academy for not even being nominated for my performance. And even though the pain cuts deep almost 40 years later, I have moved on. And I have forgotten about it. But I have not forgotten that we are 5 days, 8 hours, 58 minutes, and 23 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. 5 days. Hey, I've got a great show for you today, and before we get into it, I want to thank T.N. Yeti, Tennessee Yeti, for leaving a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. T.N. Yeti says, great podcast, five stars. This is a great hunting podcast filled with lots of good information and interviews. Keep it up, Andy. T.N. Yeti, thank you very much for taking the time to leave that review on iTunes. The reviews you guys leave really help others who find the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, if you leave a review there, to decide to give the show a shot and listen to an episode. Now, from there, it's all up to me to keep them listening. But your reviews do make a difference. So I'm very appreciative of those. Please keep those coming. So, this past weekend, I went scouting on a new piece of hunting property and I saw several sets of gobbler tracks. And I actually saw at least one long beard with several hens. Now, there were two other male turkeys with the group, but I couldn't tell if they had beards or not. Needless to say, I was very excited to see the birds, even though I did not hear a turkey gobble at all Saturday morning, and it was absolutely gorgeous Saturday. But If all of the gobblers are as hinned up as the male birds that I saw were, then they have no reason to advertise yet. Of course, that will all change, and that'll change soon. Looks like spring turkey season is going to be right on track this year, judging by what I saw this past Saturday, and I'm really looking forward to it. Of course, that should go without saying, because this is the turkey hunter podcast after all, so you would expect that I'd be looking forward to turkey season. Okay, so let's get into today's topic. Many of you may recognize the name Keith Beam from his days as the co-founder of Double Bull Blinds. In today's interview, Keith tells us a little bit about the story of how he and his partner started Double Bull Blind years ago. But if you listen to episode 64A, which was the ATA show part one, then you know that I first met Keith at the ATA show in Louisville in January. Keith had a booth there and was letting the world know about his new venture. His new venture is called Drake's Adventures. And Keith's going to tell us a little bit more about Drake's Adventures towards the end of our interview. But I wanted to get Keith on the show to share his knowledge of turkey hunting from a blind with us. And that is what he and I discuss in today's episode. Now being a run-and-gun turkey hunter myself, I don't turkey hunt from a blind very often, but there are circumstances where turkey hunting from a ground blind gives me an advantage. If I'm hunting a tom strut zone during midday or afternoon hours, then a ground blind gives me the flexibility to move around a little bit undetected when that turkey comes in silent. And I seem to have pretty bad timing when it comes to shifting my rear end a little bit while waiting on that bird to show up, seems like. Every time I need to shift or wipe a bead of sweat from my nose, that gobbler is just within range but hasn't shown himself yet, and I hear that dreaded putt that we don't ever like to hear. Now, another time when I'll use a ground blind is when I'm hunting with a kid, or an adult, of course, who has difficulty sitting still while we are working a bird into our setup. Now, I'm sure we all know a hunter or two who just can't seem to sit still over any period of time. And a ground blind definitely gives those hunters an advantage over a turkey's excellent eyesight. I got a lot of great info from speaking with Keith, and I'm going to share that interview with you right now, and I look forward to seeing you guys on the other side. Hey everybody, I'm excited to tell you that I have on the line with me today Keith Beam, and Keith has a lot of different lives in the outdoors industry. I met Keith at the ATA show back in January in Louisville, and he and I got to chatting a little bit, and we did a brief interview about what he's doing now, his current endeavor that he's involved with that I just happen to think is a wonderful idea, and I'm crazy about it. And after that interview, he and I were talking, and I said, you know, I need to get you on, and let's do a full hour-long interview. And let me pick your brain a little bit, and I've got a good topic that I want to pick your brain about, and that is turkey hunting from a ground blind because Keith is one of the co-founders of Double Bull Blinds in a previous life.
1: In a, in a previous life, yeah.
0: Yes. So he knows a little bit about blinds, how we need to set those things up. He knows a little bit about turkey hunting out of them because he does that a good bit and so I really wanted to get him on the show to share that information with us. Keith, how are you today and where are you?
1: I am absolutely wonderful. I am here in the beautiful, beautiful white landscaped land of Wanakee, Wisconsin, just north of Madison. we got about six inches of new snow that visited us today and I'm sitting here glad that I'm not outdoors.
0: Yes, I can imagine and I'm Doing the opposite. I'm indoors wishing I was outdoors because the skies are blue. The temperature is 70. Oh, damn.
1: Like when did the bass go on their major spawn down there right now,
0: isn't it? Well, it's probably another 30 days before oh, that happens. Right. Yeah. we got to get the water temperature up. We're still, even though we've had about a week of warm weather, the water temperatures have not really gotten up above 55. They're probably right That's at nice. it right now. Got gotcha. so we're getting close. Spring is in the air around this part of the world. <laughs> spring at least was in my thinking mind. about okay. coming
1: around here, but then it left. Yeah, we went back down yeah. to see you.
0: Well, it can stay here. Okay, you want to keep Perfectly it? happy with it. Right. Yes, All right. absolutely. And one of the things that comes with spring are those goblin turkeys, and awesome. I can't wait for that. We're 14 days away from that right now. That's awesome.
1: You guys get an early jump on it down there. You know, we have to wait. The last year they opened it up April 12th. So we've got okay. a, a month and a half, not bad, two, three days ago when it was nice. It was 57 degrees. My wife and I were driving someplace right outside of town here, and there was a tom strutting for a couple of jakes and a band of hens, showing himself in all his glory here at the end of February. Pretty impressive to see him in Wisconsin land.
0: Yeah, and that's exciting right there. I, I don't know that I'd been able to keep the car on the road. I didn't say I was driving down the right right lane. I just
1: said I saw them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you probably do a good bit of what I do, and that is rubberneck Uh all of the agricultural fields and fallow fields and everything else. And I get in a lot of trouble for that.
1: Well, in Wisconsin here, right where we're at is rolling, soft rolling hills. So, you know, until these ag crops get rocking and rolling, you know, in late, late, late spring – You can do a lot of rubbernecking. You can see valleys, and you can see little rolling coves. you know, where here's where the end of the food ends. Oh, yeah, you can spot some critters.
0: Yeah. With me, I'm not a danger to text and drive or Uh email and drive. I'm a danger to rubberneck and look at the ag fields.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's safer that way. That way, I just drive in the ditch. There's less traffic, so...
0: I agree. Yeah. It's a good spot to be.
1: It is. Tell us
0: a little bit about yourself and how you first got into turkey hunting.
1: Well, I went to college down in southern Arkansas in Magnolia, Arkansas, right on the border of Louisiana. I had grown up a pheasant hunter and a migratory waterfowl hunter with my dad and my brothers my whole life, but had never been introduced to the unbelievable sport of turkey hunting until I was down there working part time uh, in the evenings at Columbia Sporting Goods and a couple of buddies of mine or people down there took me out. Unbelievable. I was hooked immediately, the the amount of excitement that came with that has stuck with me ever since. I killed some birds with my shotgun. I actually went to southern Missouri where I killed my first turkey with those guys. Houston County I believe, I believe is a town called Success. And how oh, apropos nice. how app ho is that, yeah. But I, I learned a lot down there, and as I got out of school and got out of baseball, I started bow hunting turkeys and have fallen in love with it for the last 21 years have done it as kind of an income. Uh, we own double Archer. We founded it at 95. Uh, I was turkey hunting with my recurve for probably three and a half four years before then. So it's been a you know 23, 20 year, 24 year, adventure of of chasing turkeys with with archery
0: equipment. Nice. Yeah. Good deal. Now tell me a little bit about you starting Double Bull.
1: When I was a branch manager at W.W. Granger in Lincoln, Nebraska, I had been invited to go out to Colbertson, Nebraska along the Republican River bottom southwest panhandle part of Nebraska and to come out and chase some of their turkeys out there. And I wanted to do it in my recurve so the first couple of trips I tried hiding behind cottonwoods and you know, flung arrows and got busted drawing and, and you know, I could never get one solo bird ever to come in, you know, where I could move at the right time. So I was digging through one of the turkey ant magazines I had at that time and I came upon the black hole blind, which is a hoop and fabric blind. You throw a barge rope up over a limb, you pull this thing up, it took you about forty minutes to set it up. But what I did do was I killed nine birds in like a three- or four-year period between Nebraska and Missouri, using that blind with my recurve. And I talked so much turkey hunting with, with my former business partner, Double Bull. I wanted to develop a ground blind that you could set up fast. Because the problem that I was ran into was I could get a bird worked up, but he may walk off his hands, and there's no way to cut around and get in front of it. You know, I couldn't, you know, get outside, tear the blind down, you know, discombobulate the whole thing, run 200 yards in front of them and hope to have it set up by the time you passed me. So uh, it was always my goal to build a blind because I knew turkey hunting with archery, it just, it, it was going to catch on. It was so much fun and I had such a blast with it. Well, I ran into this older gentleman in Fort Collins, Colorado. His name was Steve Stumbo and he had the hub carved out of wood with wooden dowels. He had the workings of what I needed for the blind. So Brooks and I decided to give up the corporate world and attack the bow hunting ground blind, instant containment equipment type world and bought the bought the royalties, bought the patents off of him and ran with it. Nineteen ninety five was our first release of the blinds so and we didn't really look back.
0: Yeah. It's a pretty neat story and a product that really Revolutionized bow hunting, especially bow hunting turkeys.
1: Yeah, it was. What was really weird about the whole thing was, is I actually thought that it would just be a turkey hunting apparatus. I had experienced stuff out there in Nebraska. I knew the blinds worked. As soon as we made the few first prototypes, we were killing birds in and, and some public land hunts down in Missouri. You know, some of the tougher places. You know, we even went back down to Arkansas down in Magnolia and shot a bird down there one of the big timber plantations on public land. And, you know, it was one of those things I knew would work. I never knew that it would be anything more than a hobby because I didn't think you would ever be able to beat whitetails out of it. And the history of the whole bowl was written in place when, when Jay Greger
0: and Andy
1: and people like that got together and figured out how to kill big deer out of the blind. All of a sudden, you know, we had a tool that could be used across all
0: seasons. Right.
1: And that's where it really took off.
0: Yeah, that's pretty neat. And it's crazy to me how a turkey really kind of could care less about the blind, Mm -hmm. which is completely opposite of what you would think would happen. Right. And a deer will just completely flip out and leave the world.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll leave the the farm. Yeah. I mean, you could park your truck out there, get out and walk into the shelter belt and and watch – Walk up by your truck, but you throw a ground blind out there at the wrong place at the wrong time, and lo and behold, you you have all of a sudden made them a migratory animal. (laughs) They're over there on Bob's farm and may not return. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're right. But we figured out some pretty neat ways of beating them as well as knocking the daylights out of turkeys.
0: Yeah. Uh, You got a lot of trial and error and experience with it, so definitely hey, before we get into the meat of our interview, yep. I've got a little something that I've been doing. It's called the rapid fire Q&A. Okay. I have a list of 30 questions that are about turkeys and turkey hunting. I'll ask you questions. You answer those as quickly as you can. Okay. I'm going to put a stopwatch to you and see if you can beat Rob Keck, who has the fastest time so far of two minutes and 33.58 seconds.
1: Now, do I have to talk like this, Andy? Or can I go ahead and answer things as I normally would? Would that's you like to talk
0: like Rob kick? That was a pretty decent kick impersonation. Yeah. Yeah, Rob and I have had some fun conversations.
1: Yeah. Great guy. He is. Great guy.
0: And you do not have to talk like Rob. Okay, good. But you better talk as fast as Rob if you okay. stand a chance to be. Okay. Him. I got it. I got it. I'm in. Okay. I'm ready. All right. Now. When I start the first question, I'm gonna start the clock. How many full body turkey mounts do you own? Two. How many turkeys did you kill last year? One. Diaphragm, box, pot and peg, or wing bone? Pot peg. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Grilled. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat, with cola, or with Six. water? Number of grand slams? One. Make of your shotgun? me. Means- Let me rephrase it. Make of your bow?
1: PSE, oh man.
0: Make of your favorite arrow.
1: Gold tip. Swap your head.
0: Have you ever killed a bearded hen? No. Have you ever killed a Jake? Yes. Ten-minute successful hunt on a two-year-old bird or a four-hour-long hunt with a clean miss on a four-year-old bird? Doesn't matter. Enjoy both. Favorite camo pattern? Predator. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? Dinner. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? Four. Less. 30-mile-per-hour winds blowing at home the last day of turkey season, are you hunting or sleeping in? Hunting. The state you killed your first turkey in? Missouri. The state you killed your last turkey in? Wisconsin. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger, or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Sit in a blind. Rios or Osceola's? Rios. Rios or Easterns? Easterns. Easterns or Merriam's? Easterns. Public land out west or private land in the southeast?
1: Private land, southeast.
0: Length of your arrows? 27 and a quarter. Expandable or fixed blade? Expandable. Field turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods. All right. The next two questions are gun questions. We're skipping those. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? Leather boots. All right. You roost a bird this afternoon, and it's pouring rain at daylight. Do you hunt?
1: Oh, yeah. At daylight? A half hour before daylight, I'm already out there. So at daylight, I'm hunting.
0: All right. Favorite place you've ever hunted? Nebraska. Okay, I'm pausing because I've got to find you two more questions. Okay. I'm going to my alternate list of questions now. Okay. All right. Are you prepared for the final two questions, Mr. Beam? Yes. What's my time
1: setting at right now?
0: I cannot divulge oh. that. It's classified information at this point. All right. Okay. All right. I'm going to start the clock again on right. question number 29. Okay. Best turkey hunter you know. Doug Cracker. Favorite turkey hunting book. Drake's Adventure, Spring Thunder. Two minutes, forty-three seconds, oh. and twenty-nine oh. hundredths of
1: a second. Oh. I probably won't even go in the first round now, will I? I'll probably, probably be like a third-round draft pick.
0: That drops your stock in the draft yeah. down to. Yeah. Be in the top. Uh, you probably you're a late first rounder. Oh, good. <laughs> I don't <laughs> mind. Hey, it's still guaranteed money. That's Late exactly. first round, mm-hmm. guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. Two forty-three point twenty-nine. Wow, so pretty good. Nice. That you actually—that's number two. Fantastic. Keck crushed everyone. Yeah. He beat the fastest time by twenty seconds.
1: See, when I say gold tip errors with Schwecker Brothers, okay, just an example of that. When he could go federal. All right, so you've got three syllables.
0: I've got a sentence. I've got a sentence. Okay, the judges are going to rule on this and vote. Yep, second place. All right, I'll take that. So I wanted to get you on, as I mentioned before, to talk to us about ground blinds and turkey hunting out of ground blinds because, I mean, it's kind of as easy as just throwing up a blind and jumping in it, but yeah. There's a little bit more to it than that.
1: There, there is. There, there's What it really boils down to is what you're trying to experience out of a ground blind for turkeys. I mean, if you want to bow hunt them at 10 feet and get them there and, and watch a five-minute show, that's one thing. If you're wanting to use them, you know, for just in climate weather and you're gun hunting and you want to stay dry, that's another thing. You know, if you want to mentor your kids or you want to take your, you know, your wife or newcomer to the sport, you just got to kind of figure it out that way. And it does all of it.
0: Well, I'm going to share my million-dollar idea with everyone. I have been keeping this inside because I wanted to use it to make money. Okay. But I can really see how the basis or backbone behind a double bull blind could help me with my million-dollar idea. All right. I like this. Okay. So turkey reaping has become a huge thing now getting behind these turkey fans or these half-turkey yeah. decoys and crawling yeah. up to a turkey, yeah. or having the turkey charge you, uh-huh. which is oh, pretty yeah. dang exciting. Oh, yeah. it would be fun. So for these field turkeys, mm-hmm. I want a life-size cow, okay. like a Trojan horse, okay. that I can get inside of, and I can yeah. see how the the walls of the double bull blind would be perfect for building the structure of the shape of the cow. Right. And I want to use the cow to walk out there within 25 yards of the turkey Mm -hmm. that flies down from the edge of the field into the middle of a 200 acre field and stands there all day long and struts and never leaves. Mm -hmm. And I want to use the cow to approach that turkey so that's my thought and i'm afraid someone listening is going to pick this idea up and run with it but you know i could see how doing something like that with a double pull blind would actually work i think it's going to be much safer than having that turkey (laughs) fan stuck in front of your face while you crawl up on a turkey out in a field
1: well that's that makes a a couple very good valid points number one is if i'm watching a field and every day at 11 o'clock in the morning there is a big tom strutting out there in the middle of this pasture i will have the blind set up there that afternoon and i will be parked in there before daylight and i will wait him out because that is his strut zone that's where he wants to go and no matter how good of a caller you think you are it's a lot easier to work the bird into the location that he wants to go rather than to a location he does not care to go The blind out in the wide open, if it's not flapping in the wind or shining in the sun in a glary state, is golden on turkeys. Keep your back windows shut so you're not silhouetted through there. And I can sit in any pasture and beat that bird. It might require me sitting there over two decoys, a Jake and a Hen, quietly, just so he comes to investigate.
0: Uh, So you're you're telling me that my Trojan cow idea sucks?
1: Yeah, I think I think if if you could have done that in middle evil times, they probably would have taken you into the <laughs> fort and you could have attacked. However, I don't know if that's necessary in these pastures. I would probably go with just a blind.
0: So then I use a double bull blind. I don't have to worry about possibly being thrown in the truck and taken off to the slaughterhouse either. Do exactly I, cow costume
1: exactly or castrated.
0: Geez. <laughs> Yep, you sold me on a double bull right there.
1: Uh, yes.
0: <laughs> okay, the cow idea is gone. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm trashing that one. That was so steer. Uh, we're talking about these blinds, yes sir. and it's really not as easy as just opening up Cabela's or Bass Pro or any other outdoor shop catalog and going, okay, I want this one. Yep. We need to really kind of pick and choose and Make some decisions before we make the decision about what kind of a blind we that's need, great. don't we? Yeah. What are some of those things we need to take into account?
1: First off, you got to ask yourself, you know, what, who, who and what is really going to use this? You know, if you're a compound shooter that's taking their kids and getting their kids in, you don't need a blind that's six foot four tall. You know, you, you have a five foot seven, five seven, eight unit. all your blinds are really designed to be shot sitting on a chair or on your knees. So there, there's no reason to carry that extra weight, have the extra cost uh, associated with it. If you are a guy that's shooting a 62-inch recurve and you shoot it with a 15-degree cant, you're going to want a blind that's 6' tall so that you don't hit your upper limb tip anywhere on the blind. You know, if, if you're going to be doing nothing but gun hunting, you can even get smaller and lighter yet. So you gotta ask yourself what you're gonna be doing with it. Then you really have to go, okay, am I going to be shooting mechanical broadheads out of my, you know, my compound, or am I gonna be shooting a shotgun? Because I'm shooting shotgun, maybe I wanna shoot through this net, you know, where fixed blades fly great right through the net, and some mechanicals do, but let's not hinder ourselves by going, boy, I hope this flies through the net, and you, know, you just get that uncomfortable feeling. You just want to riddle yourself all those things, then the next thing you want to do is actually consider the ingredients in a blind. What I mean by that is your fabric. You know, the days when Brooks and I did all the double bowls, they were done out of a cotton canvas duck or a fifty five, forty five polycotton. And I gave you a really tough fabric, a dull fabric and a quiet fabric. Now stuff has changed a lot to polys, and there's a lot of more inexpensive blinds out there that are building stuff out of nylon. Um, You know, and nylon's a derivative of a a petroleum, so it's going to be shinier. It's going to have a glare to it, you know, but it might be the one that you have to try because that's the price point you can afford. So it's neither here nor there. You just want to make sure that you match it up and and understand that there are facets to blinds that – A lot of people aren't aware of, you know, one of the patents that we had that's still in in great existence is the infinitely adjustable windows. So when you're looking down a hill, you know, you can you can lower the front of the window edge down. If you're looking up a hill, you can raise it. You know, a taller person can have the upper part open and the shorter person can use the bottom part, you know, And, and that gives you that flexibility for, you know, when you've got a gun up to your shoulder, you're looking down the barrel. You know, when you got a bow, you, you've got upper limb tip and lower limb tip and all kinds of different things that you got to take into consideration. And that's where knowing what you want the blind to do will answer predominantly what one you get.
0: All right. So after we've picked the right blind,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we've got to find a place to go put this thing up. Mm-hmm. So how are we going to determine the best place to put the blind up for a turkey hunt?
1: Turkey, I don't ever put it out in, in advance unless I have found the ultimate roost spot. They're gone mid-afternoon, and I'm either going to hunt as they come back to the roost that night, or I'm going to fly in there in the morning and know that I'm in their travel corridor. Now, the blind doesn't have to be set up. If it's not flat to the wind is shining in the sun, it's going to be taboo on the turkey. It does not need to be set up or brushed in before. It's time to go. I don't care if the turkeys are coming around a point, and I rush and get a blind set up. If I can beat them so they don't see it, when they come around, I get the decoys out. It's golden. What you want to do, though, is scout. You know, a blind is, is something you're carrying. It's cumbersome. It's not a pad that you snap up on your vest and you, you run around and, and you're going to keep moving and moving and moving until you kill that turkey. But a lot of times in a blind, you're going to have to be patient. You're gonna have to go. I want to be over there. I've seen this bird strutting at 10 a.m. down around this point. You know, every morning he's strutting for a different bunch of hens. I'm gonna be down there, and I'm gonna wait it out all all day and and trying to get it. But I know that when it approaches that golden time, which I think the best time in the world to ever kill turkeys out of a blind is nine till two, I would like to put a average or a mean to all the turkeys shot in the world and see how many of them fall in that, that price range right there, that nine till two. And yeah. I, I'm a firm believer, bohun that 80 to 90% of them are falling in there. And, and the reason being is, is we don't get up and move. You know, if you are a gun hunter, and, you know, I did this down in Arkansas, if, if I'm sitting up in this tree and bird pitches down and he's going the other way, I can just quick grab my thing and go, and I'm back around in front of him. So you may kill that bird 20 minutes after daylight. But set the blind up, set his chair that's got a tripod, got the camera, got all his calls out. You know his coffee sitting on the ground. He doesn't really want to pack all that stuff up. And we all, we know, you know, what I have learned is is a bird will lose interest in his hands or breed him off. And about that eight thirty nine o'clock, he's gonna start firing off again. And that is the bird that will make me smile from ear to ear. And that's the bird that I truly believe if I get him gobbling in that time frame, I can kill him.
0: Yeah, you're right. That's the magic time. All right. So we've done some scouting. We've identified some places that we think may be good. But what are we really looking for? If you, if you were looking at a piece of property on a map and you said, all right, I'm going to go check out these places first. I think these are going to be good spots. What are those spots going to be?
1: If, I, if I'm looking it down on an aerial photo of a property, there's a couple different things that I'm going to try to work on. I'm going to figure out, you know, sun's rising over here. I do always kind of want the sun to my back, no matter how I set. How's it going to cast on this point, this point, and this point? You know, that birds that's going to pitch down, especially not on, on a damp day, you know, fogs up or whatever, they're going to pitch down. They're going to want to be out in that sun. They're going to be strutting for all their glory, but they want that sun hitting them. So I'm going to check that area out off of an aerial photo. Then I'm going to go out for the season or, you know, just over the years, you're going to learn where, the, where they're dusting at, where they're strutting at. You know, you're going to see the drag marks in the the dirt. You know, you're going to spot them here two or three times. And and that's where scouting and just kind of being knowledgeable about what to look for can be very advantageous because these little point-out toppings, you know, off the timber edges and stuff like that where you can set a blind, where you can see for a good distance, catch the sun to your back as it's rising and birds are going to come out and they're, they're going to want to be showing themselves, you know, you know, in that sun. And that's where you're going to be setting
0: and it's going to be gold. All right. So you answered my next question that I have for you, but I want to rephrase it a little bit. Okay. So you told me that you do not brush your blinds in.
1: Nope.
0: For turkeys. And and it makes perfectly good sense when you think about it because, the turkeys just don't seem to be bothered, like we talked about a minute ago. They just don't seem to be bothered by these blinds. Still completely blows my mind. Isn't that crazy? It, it really is. Well, I had and,
1: a, Yeah, I, I don't mean to cut you off there, Andy, but go I go had the, a, a biologist, and I, I don't remember his name, but he uh, told me either the rod or the cone or partial, one of them is missing. But anyhow, their, their depth perception is horrific, and the idea of being able to see in a, a deeper dimension and he explained it to me as if you were looking at a photograph, you know, I was always asking him, you know, how, how can a bird that would, would pick me up scratching from a mosquito, you know, 50 yards away in the woods, just putt, putt, and he's gone, all of a sudden walk up and brush himself up against the, you know, blind when I'm sitting in it, you know, four feet away. And he explained right. it to me as if I was looking at a photograph, and here I am staring at this photograph, and something moved on that photograph, your eyes would pick it up instantly. And that's what a turkey sees. They, they key in on a flat, two-dimensional form of motion. And with that being said, it made a lot of sense why the blind, if it's not flapping in the wind where it's spooking up, um, it is going to be absolute taboo on it. A turkey's not going to pay that much attention. You know, they, they, Remember, they got a brain the size of a pea. They're just scared of everything.
0: Right. Okay. Well, that was that was that question. Is I know you're not a scientist or a biologist, but why is that? So that,
1: that, yeah, I, I, I'm not even... I don't, don't want yeah, I don't want to
0: play that game. I huh, struggle um, through
1: life just telling myself that I know how to brush my teeth every day, so that's good.
0: <laughs> Maybe on a different show, I'll just have you on and just let you BS us about all the science behind turkeys.
1: Okay, let's do that. I'll okay. do that. Yeah.
0: All right. So for this one, though, we're going to run with, with facts.
1: Okay, facts.
0: <laughs> Got it. So far, we have, it's been, kind
1: of get on so
0: well and then you mentioned the wind flapping and the sheen from the fabric if Mm -hmm. we do happen to buy one of these blinds that has a shiny fabric i've I've read that you know taking some mud and just lightly rubbing a coat of mud over the top of that fabric will help knock that shine off of the Mm -hmm. fabric is that Mm -hmm.
1: It will. Uh, Whatever you do, though, please do not wash your blind with, like, soap and water like you'd wash your car. You know, a lot of these fabrics have what's called a DWR, Durable Water Resistant Finish, on their fabric. Basically, what it means is the fibers are all plugged, okay, so your blind really won't leak until you start tampering with it. And it's like those canvas guide tents, you know, if you push your finger up against it, it starts leaking there. Well, you spread those fibers out. You spread that DWR finish apart. So we, we used to always treat ours with a, a DWR finish. And then, of course, it's coated on the underside, you know, with the black back. You say it's a fairly waterproof design. We don't take seeds or anything. But we get people to be like, I pushed our real hard against it, and then I took it out, and then I – I washed it because I thought it, you know, it, it smelled like something. This is turkey now. You know, they, they wash their blind with their scent-free soap, scrub it down really good, now it looks like a sieve. Well, you've yeah. cleaned out everything that's in that fabric. You know, it, it's not necessary. Over the course of time, that blind will air itself out. You know, granted, it's got new printing, and you know, they, they've got these dye treatments and whatever that they put on, so fabric print doesn't smear. So, you know, th- there are treatments, but don't get crazy about it for turkey hunt. Knock the sheen down if you want to, but don't wash it off. Mother nature will rain on it. You know so you'll get enough use out of it. You know it'll get a chance to, to dull down or whatever. But you know that's right back to that statement of uh, pay attention to the ingredients. Cause what I'm telling you is the nylons. Polys have a sheen to them, but they are a lot of brushed polies, and there are some brushed nylons where they stand to the finish on it where it makes it duller looking. But, uh, those nylons are a pure derivative of a petroleum product, and they are going to be shiny.
0: Okay. And then you talked a little bit about setting that blind up and having the sun at your back. How important is that? How important is it for us to avoid as much wind as we can? And I know if we're putting a blind up in the middle of a field, we're not avoiding any wind.
1: Yeah, I don't worry about the wind that much. You know, the, the neat thing is is that birds, if you spread it out in the middle of a field, He's experienced that when you see a stain blow around, you know, his feathers got screwed up. He's used to it, you know, the grass blowing around, there will be stuff blowing around. You know, the, the key to really a black back blind, a blind that has a black coating on the inside of it, is wear black or wear a solid color. You know, you want to make surroundings just like camouflage matches the surroundings in a wood. You don't want to be in there with light-colored camo and a black-back blind because every time you move, you're going to get busted. But if you're in there in a black-back blind and you're wearing black on your hands or your face or, you know, your upper body, you're going to be able to get away with murder because it blends in so well, you know, black on black. There's nothing that's showing movement. And then you can start getting away with moving on turkeys at 8, 10 yards away. Most of the blinds come with 4 tie cords off the walls, some of them have stakes down in the corners. You know, you might have between four and 12 ways of staking a blind down. Use as many as you can so it doesn't lift or flop up, you know, at the wrong time, which always seems like Murphy's Law plays a little bit of a factor there. But.
0: Okay. So if a blind comes with four stakes, when do you use four stakes?
1: I use four stakes most every time I'm setting up. And and, and the reason being is, is Brooks and I were out in South Dakota one time, and we were hiding the bird was coming in, and the of wind came in one of those canyon draws where we didn't think there's anything in and actually lifted the blind about a foot and a half straight up in the air off of us. And that was the end of that hunt for that bird. It was, I don't know, 50, 60 yards coming right to us. And had we just taken the time to push it into the soft ground, four stakes, we would have been golden.
0: Yeah. So when that happened and the blind got lifted up by the wind, you should have just thrown it off of you and gone, I Yeah, I just
1: ran after him with yeah. a stick in my mouth. Yeah, and dove after him, tackled uh-huh. him. I tackled enough turkeys. I, I know that they can whoop you even when they are on the fatal side of their last laugh.
0: No doubt, they can,
1: they can put they can put the beating on you.
0: No doubt, yeah. a twenty or twenty-four pound mm-hmm. animal can just beat the living stew out of a mm-hmm. two hundred pound, two hundred plus pound man. Yeah,
1: yeah, especially when Crazy. you start with jagged, pointed things in your feet that they like to throw around at you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I've yeah. taken one or two of those through the palm of my hand. I know that they win.
0: Yeah, I've got ditches from a Osceola turkey that.
1: Oh, yeah. They got some daggers on them.
0: That made me have a lot more respect for them.
1: hmm. When
0: it comes just, to Just that. remember,
1: if you can get one hand around their neck, I really don't care how many times they hit me, I'm not giving in. I will eventually win. Yeah.
0: I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna,
1: I'm gonna to let you. them have it. <laughs> I get that hand around the neck. It's a good feeling.
0: I don't care how expensive the shotgun shells are that I shoot or how expensive <laughs> the arrows that you shoot may be. It is still cheaper than a hospital oh, emergency yes. room copay.
1: Yes. Well, yeah, in this day and time, of course it is.
0: Shoot the turkey again. I'm all for it. Yeah. I like I it. I love the that's smell what, of That's what quivers
1: job. are for, magazines are for, tube extenders, yeah. all kinds of things.
0: Yes. That backup pump. Hey, since we're talking about killing right now, one uh-huh. of my favorite subjects, uh-huh. tell us the story of your most recent successful turkey hunt and one or two of the things that helped to make that hunt a success.
1: Okay. Well, I, I was, last spring was probably one of the most amazing opening days, the only day I turkey hunt. I, I was watching this kid's book line, and uh, so time was of but most effort and so hard to find it was frightening. But I did get out the night before opening day, scouted on my farm in southwest Wisconsin, put a bunch of birds together, went out there and set up. Daves uh, daybreak came along, bird came in, and the, the neatest thing about this was is Dick Rowley, Jay Gregory, and myself had developed mm. the, the kill switch broadhead. And it was a broadhead for dead ring that was designed to shoot turkeys heads off, and I was known for that, for shooting the guillotine. And Brooks and I actually designed it bullhead for Magnus, and so that was my forte, was shooting turkeys in the head. Well, we designed this kill switch, which would be a mechanical broadhead that's designed to wallop their head. The neat thing was, you could shoot mm-hmm. it at 40 or 50 yards, where your bullhead and your guillotine are going to run out of the state. You've got so much air resistance, they're going to slow down. So, I'm out there, and a buddy of mine is filming the hunt, and I get three birds to come in, probably 8.30 in the morning, and I clean the head off of this bird, and I mean at point-blank range, and I was using Brooks, he has his best turkey decoy or whatever, and shot this bird's head off. So he's out there flopping, and I'm doing my big spiel into the camera, and there's a coyote running full blast at night. The kill switch, keep in mind, the kill switch, when it's deployed, is five inches. It's a five-inch cut diameter, and it's not leaned back like for penetration. It just basically lays out so that they cut the things in half. Mm-hmm. Well, I got my cameraman get on him, and this coyote came running in all the way to that flopping turkey right there. And I hit him with the kill switch, and he went nowhere. So, in a matter of seconds, I, I not only got, I was predator prey and then preying on the predator. It was a, a pretty fun experience to teach coyote that, well, there's things that are above you on the food chain. So, and the kill switch yeah. broadhead was one of them. So that's probably one of my most memorable moments in a long time. Nearly a minute and a half of, of true hunting and all of a sudden, you know, I've got to release these two arrows. And I've got to head shoot a turkey and then cut a coyote in half with one of them with me broadhead. So yeah. It was, a, it was a pretty exciting moment.
0: Yeah. That's pretty sweet. What yeah, do you think What do you think was the key to success in that hunt? What, location, what location, did you do? location,
1: that was so- location, location, location.
0: Okay. okay.
1: Yeah, I've always been able to study it from a distance. It's rolling hills, you know, it's the bluffs and stuff like that. And our foliage doesn't come up until later in the spring. So even if you didn't draw, we have to draw seasons, you know, five-day seasons. Even if you didn't draw the first season, if you go out and you pay attention and you scout and you sit there, you know, in your truck or whatever, on top of one of the bluffs, you can see a lot of different rolling coolies and so on and so forth that really can tell you a lot of things. And... I had seen numbers of turkeys on my farm that would come out later in the morning, not right off the trees or anything like that, you know, at eight thirty, 30 at nine, so that's where they'd be. And it's dead on this hillside. So it was just a matter of, you know, you get to talk to them all morning and you get to hear them. You know, it's unbelievable. It it's it's God singing its greatest praise in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, it was a turkey goblin. Yeah. It was just, it was really cool. I I was in the right spot. I didn't know that, you know, the coyote was going to follow up. That was like the best bonus ever.
0: But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah it was just a good time. So you got to take a turkey and you got to save some baby turkeys along the I way did. too. So that's
1: pretty- I yes, I, I, yeah. I save more wildlife by releasing that. It's always a neat feeling.
0: All right, so we talked a lot on this interview about blinds and hunting blinds for you is well, kind of a past yeah. life. It's still part of your current life, but it's. Was a huge Mm -hmm. part of your past life, so you've got something that is a bigger part of your current life now. That I want you to tell us a little bit about, and then tell us how we can find it. Okay. Well,
1: we we did the Double Bowl, which was the hostile blind company from '95 to 2007. Primo's acquired us then. I went to work for Will and Jimmy. Loved working with those guys for seven more years. Last December, I resigned because Steve Harris and I have launched Drake's Adventures. And Drake's Adventures is an interactive soundbook series that will be coming out. We have two books done uh, currently, but it's a way of getting newborns to six seven, eight year- old children involved in hunting and interested in the honors and traditions of our hunting sport and interesting them to the sounds to the, the actual birds got. In. And we're grabbing all these sound bites off of all the years of videotaping for the show. And it's one of those things that we take Drake, and the first book he goes spring turkey on, it's called Spring Thunder. He goes out for his first hunt ever with his dad, and they have a successful bow hunt on a turkey. And basically it's like my four-year-old boy that time hunting with dad. And then in the next one, it's called Trick or Treat, which is the story of the largest, one of the largest whitetail I've ever killed in my life. My boy, he was four still in October, standing right there in my ear in the blind with me when this largest deer that we had pictures of on the farm showed up. And I was able to, to harvest that with my son. So that was the inspiration for it. You know, what we want Drake to do is to spark kids' interest, for them not only to be read to, which I think every child needs to be, but to get the kid to say, Mom or Dad or Uncle or Grandpa, take me in fishing. Because right now I'm, a, I'm privy to a lot of numbers in this industry. And I know our numbers are falling, and I hate to hear that. We're not getting enough of the new kids involved. You know, the programs that are out there, the Jakes, the Green Wings, you know, the different ones, that the NASP, they're all fantastic programs, but they all don't start until the kids are old enough to participate in them. And I think what's happening is we're losing interest. We're losing to the Minecraft. We're losing to different video games and different apparatuses that keep kids a, away from learning what a page turned feels like, you know, hearing that story continue to actually hearing the sounds in the sight And Steve Karras is the best illustrator I've ever seen. It's it's one of those things that I want to grow the sport in. And we've run into a lot of struggles. It's been a tough road. You know, I assumed that it would be much easier, but we're trying to get the message out there that, Drake's Adventures. If you have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews that you know you want to share with them the honors and traditions, some of the sights and sounds that are out there, you need to read them. You know these books. We got to get the kids interested, and that's that's why I resigned. I gave up a really good position, a position I loved working for the guys at premium I gave it up and all my editing and everything to to do this full time, and. I will try my absolute hardest to make it succeed. I want our hunting and fishing sports to continue. I don't want to be France. I don't want to be, you know, the fox hunters. I don't want something to go away because we didn't pay attention to it. So it's my mission and Steve's mission to make certain that there's an avenue out there for a one-year-old or a two-year-old. If he's going to push a push-button book, you want him pushing one at Disney? You know, an anti-hunting group, or do you want to push him one that that he gets the sights and sounds of what mom and dad like? You know, if we got to choose, let's choose wisely. So Drake's Adventures is at drakesadventures.com, www.drakesadventures.com. We're also on Facebook. But we have the two books done. His little sister will be getting involved in the third one that's due to release this summer. Uh, It'll be a waterfowl hunt, and her name is Cricket. And she'll start going on all the adventures with Drake. You know, we opened with the two bow hunting, bow hunting turkey and bow hunting white elk, But he is going to get into the gunpowder mixes, and we'll be going to chase elk, and we're going to chase geese, and we're going to chase ducks and turkeys and whatever. So I play no prejudice to it. It's just a matter of two guys trying to get it released and get it going, and I had to pick someplace. So, yeah. you know, but it, it means a lot. It, it means the industry to me. Yeah. And the industry. Has been very good to me. Like I said, this is my 21st year of actually being in the industry and doing outdoor work full time. It's what I want to give back. Yeah. And to the community.
0: Well, I will tell you guys who have not seen this book that it is very well written, it is extremely well put together. I bet you that Keith has one close by so you can hear oh. the quality of the sounds. Of these recordings in the book, and can you hear that? I can hear it. <laughs> uh, in fact, I'm I'm fired up. I've got my shotgun close by, and I'm waiting. Yeah. When that turkey gets a little closer, we're gonna have some some good video footage of me shooting him at about seventy yards.
1: Fantastic. That's that's putting them right there in your pocket. That's right. <laughs> seventy. Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm also. I'm not opposed to. Uh, I, I shoot my bow religiously at 92 yards. And don't think for a second the right starting bird standing dead still on the right episode won't wear it at 70.
0: Well. You okay, know. so everybody listening to the show, I'm going to let them get a little closer than 70. Okay, me too. But not much. I I can't. It's that itchy trigger finger. I can't wait too long. Well, that but,
1: happens.
0: Hey, getting back to the book though. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the illustrations because I met your artist. He did a phenomenal
1: oh, job. He's so good. These pages of this book are similar to Terry uh, Redland. I mean, in, in fact, the, the Michael Steve and the Terry Redlands of the world probably look at some of his deer illustrations and his turkey illustrations and wonder why you're writing kids' books, why doesn't he do like, you know, wildlife art? And, and that was one of the reasons I chose Steve. And, and him and I are 50/50 50, 50 partners on this project. Is I didn't want the kid to have an avatar, or not to have an avatar. I wanted Drake to be one of these things as parents read to their kids, that the kids actually can see what truly can and, and did transpire. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that they're lost in this imagination, you know, that, that's that's what's going to get kids out in the woods. So it's one of those things that I think if we were to look at it truthfully, from uh, an entertaining, educational, and all-around great way to explain the honors and traditions of hunting, I think Steve has captured it. Yeah,
0: it it really is a beautiful book, and the artwork is amazing. And I met Steve at the show, and super nice guy. Yes. And just amazing how talented that, that guy is, so... I think if you guys go check out the website at drakesadventures.com dot com and you look at what the product is, I think you'll be very impressed and I don't think you'd be disappointed at all to buy one of those books.
1: Well I appreciate that, so, I, I think you're right. And I think even even if you don't have a child that fits into that, you know, zero to seven or eight, think about what you do have. Somebody's got an archery club, somebody's got something. We've got to get the kids off their butts reading. Children in general need to be read and read to. They need to read. They need to understand that there's more than just swiping the screen to get the next page to come up. You know, studies and pediatric studies have shown that reading to a kid with a pulse oximeter on them where they can see their pulse and they can check their blood pressure. A two-year-old, when they turn the page, starts getting excited. And that's what Steve and I wanted to unveil in this was that excitement level, the anticipation rising, and taking these honors and traditions and doing that in a masterful way that get kids involved. We have to get children
0: involved. So if we order one of these books today, typically how long does it take to show up in the mailbox? Three
1: days, two days, three
0: days. so long. I don't know that I can wait that long. I know,
1: I know. I can push buttons on these <laughs> if you want me to. You can hear them over the phone. Play them. Okay. Hold on. Let me get the gear one here. I'll give you, I'll give you the can. crack. Yeah. that
0: That sounds just like Primo's can.
1: That's exactly right. It's a good call on your behalf. This is kind of like the 30 questions. Maybe, maybe what you say. <laughs> now hold on. Hold on. Now you get to name this call. What call from Primos might that be?
0: Uh, that would be the grunt. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's the snort wheeze. Isn't yeah, it? You
1: grunt snort wheeze? You had it. Yeah. You were right yeah. there. You were two for two.
0: Not bad. Not no, bad. That... How would I do on my time? Oh, you you rocked. You beat Keck. <laughs> <laughs> Did I beat Will Primos? That was, that's my goal. That's yeah. my goal. Yep. i got to beat Will Primos. Uh, you can take him.
1: <laughs> my old buddy's getting up there. Oh, we can both take him now.
0: I think so.
1: That was one of the reasons I, I truly hated resigning to do this. At the same time, I wanted to do this so that I give it the full effort. And I have, I've been blessed to work with that man for seven years. You know, and his cousin Jimmy. I mean, it, truly, and the whole group down it it has been phenomenal. Yeah, it was, it was a great ride. I, I had tears in my eyes saying goodbye. And yeah.
0: they,
1: they won't take me back. To save my life. So I guess the tears can probably dry up. You know, as a, as a struggle well, as a starving artist now.
0: Oh. They've seen the light now with you having exited and I don't think they're turning back.
1: No, I don't think so either. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're deadbolting the screen door. <laughs> oh, Beamer's finally gone. Yeah. Yeah. Shut the door.
0: Well, I've had Jimmy on the show and I've talked to Will a couple of times. I'm I'm gonna have Will on the show eventually, but they are they're good people. They're just average folks.
1: Yeah. So they've
0: they've put together a great business and and have got some celebrity in the hunting world but they're just ordinary people so
1: yes they are they're they're very true yeah so
0: keith i appreciate you taking time to talk to us today and tell us about drake's adventures
1: no problem thank you for for putting up with me probably longer than my parents wanted anybody to have to put up with me. That's why most college courses, you know, that I had to take were 45 minutes. So that, well, you know, the teacher just reached a plateau of, okay, we need to get him out of here.
0: 45 minutes once a week for two weeks. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think the courses lasted longer than that and that's all you just really devoted to them or –
1: I could only doodle so much before an eight-and-a-half-by-eleven-page piece of paper was filled. And it would just never yeah. look right if you would turn it to the next one.
0: <laughs> well, for me, it was the bass pond. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. about time to get out, throw a big jig and pig down there in that old neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. You could do that up here, and it wouldn't really matter how heavy of a sinker you used here. Most of it would sit on top of the ice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you can have that, buddy. <laughs>
1: Come on up, I'll take you. The ice fishing.
0: I have been Boys invited. Yeah, I've been invited a couple of times to do that, and mm-hmm. I just don't—I don't know about that.
1: I—I I, I just don't either. A lot of people like—I have to, A lot of people like doing it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's more to keeping warm while you're ice fishing than just the ice shanty.
1: Uh-huh. You got it. Yep. So, yeah. I'll read right into that statement of you just made, and I'm just going to tip my hat and say yes, sir.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I can I can sit inside the house, my house, uh-huh. here in Alabama, and shoot squirrels with my pellet gun out of the window. Yep. And I would imagine that's probably as much fun as ice fishing.
1: Yeah. I, like I could be wrong. I, I like to just sit here at, at my edit desk and watch the carpet grow. Oh. I mean, that's fast enough, nice
0: there. Okay, so that's B E A M E R <laughs> at
1: Drake's dot com.
0: For all of you avid ice fishermen out there who want to send some hate mail to yep, Keith.
1: Yep, yep. You can all come here and, and share my shanty and we can watch the carpet grow.
0: <laughs> oh goodness. Well, What you guys listening to this show don't know is that Keith and I actually ran through about three quarters of this interview. Yeah. And I I realized that that I didn't press the record button. So step two in recording an interview right after dial phone number, step two got skipped. Mm -hmm. So we got to start over. So Keith and I have been on the phone now all total for almost two hours, and I am sure – he is sick of listening to me mumble.
1: I'm ready for a cup of coffee.
0: Go get you some coffee. I'm get gonna warmed up.
1: I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm to thank this... you again. Oh yeah, I'm going to thank you for having me on. I'm going to sit here and stare at this white landscaped area in front of me. God has blessed us with a bunch of beautiful snow. I cannot wait to go home and shovel. I like shoveling a lot. You know, that's why I live here, so I can't complain. But yeah, yeah, it's all good.
0: You got choices.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly
0: right. Yep. Come on down to Alabama. Sure the do. weather's fine. I can't promise you anything about the drinking water.
1: Okay. That's fine. Hey, we all have choices. You guys have bigger bass than we have. Yeah. We got, yeah, you you got, got, got bigger dumber deer. Dumber turkeys. We got dumber, dumber turkeys.
0: turkeys, bigger deer.
1: Hey, have you ever heard anybody, seriously? I mean, really seriously sit down and they've got this beautiful fan mount up there mm-hmm. and this thing's got inch and a quarter spurs or maybe even just three-quarter inch rounded ones, a two-year-old. you ever hear him say, like, that's the dumbest turkey in the woods? No. <laughs> it, so it doesn't really matter what you kill. It, it's, it, it, it feels right to you do it. You know, I, I don't want to hunt the smartest animal in the woods. I, I want to hunt the one that's similar to me, a little bit of the intellectual... I'm very, very well, guy. And, you know, so we can match wits. So,
0: I if I it. only hunted the smartest turkey, I would never kill a turkey.
1: Oh, yeah. Guaranteed.
0: So yeah. I love those dumb ones.
1: Yeah, I want suicidal ones.
0: Yes. Make the hunt I, like, hunt I like the ones that are dumb in love. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when
1: you drop your yeah. box call, they gobble. That's your locator. And They're like, wow, I'm killing this one. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to be a good morning then, no doubt. Not, Keith, not thank right. you, man. I appreciate thank you, you taking time out of your it's day.
1: It's talking to you. Hey, right. this oh, thing stamp here and the bass start hitting down there, buddy. Good luck. In two weeks, they'll kill him. Big one the picture.
0: Heck yeah, I'll do that. And for you guys that want to pick up one of Keith's books, please go do that and shoot him an email. Let him know you heard about it on the Turkey Hunter podcast. I know he would appreciate that. So. Keith, thanks again. Let's talk again soon, and stay in touch.
1: All right. Godspeed, Andy. Bye-bye. All right. Goodbye.
0: Okay, I really hope you enjoyed that interview. I had a lot of fun speaking with Keith, and I really did learn a good bit for those handful of times each season when I do use a ground blind. Now, while I was chatting with Keith after the recording, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Keith has graciously donated a Drake's Adventures Spring Thunder children's book for me to give away to you guys. Now to register for the giveaway, all you have to do is text the word DRAKES to 44222. So text the word D-R-A-K-E-S to the number 44222. You'll receive a reply back from me asking you to reply only with your email address. Now once you do that, you're registered. And I'm going to cut off the entries for the giveaway on Wednesday, 3:16. That's this coming Wednesday at 11:59, 59 p.m. And I'll draw the winner's name on Thursday, 3:17, which is Saint Patty's Day, by the way. Now this book is an awesome children's book. It is very well written and it is very well illustrated, also. And trust me on this one, you will not be disappointed if you win this book. And With Easter coming up in just two short weeks, all of you moms and dads out there can add this book to all of the really cool things that the Easter Bunny puts in your little hunter's Easter baskets. Okay, so text D-R-A-K-E-S to 44222 to register. If you have more than one little hunter in your life, then head over to www.drakesadventures.com and pick up as many of Keith's books as you need to give the Easter Bunny a little bit of help. Alright, I am stoked about the giveaway, I am stoked about opening day of turkey season, and I am stoked about next week's show as well. Man, I'm just like a wound up rubber band over here today. Anyway, that's all that I have for you guys this week. But, before I let you go, I do have a few favors to ask of you. Number one, please forward, like, and share the show on social media. Number two, please subscribe to the show. Subscribing is free, and you will be notified as soon as a new show is posted. Number three, tell a friend or a hunting buddy about the show. I've heard from a lot of you guys who have said that you have turned a family member or a buddy onto the show, and I greatly appreciate that. Number four, be sure to tune in next week for an awesome show on Dissecting a Diaphragm Call with Mitchell Johnston from Dead End Game Calls. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye